0: Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the microphone with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary.
1: Welcome to the Portfolio Optimization panel discussion. My name is Sanali Tare, VP of Strategic Content with Cornet Global, and I'm your host and the moderator for this webinar. During today's discussion, we will address the elephant in the room hybrid working and what it means for real estate and real estate footprints, and how technology, automation, supply chain recognition, reorganization, DEI, sustainability, and climate risk are all adding new dimensions to how we discuss and enact new portfolio strategies. With that, I'd like to introduce our speakers for today. First, we have Sabine M. MCR, top leadership, and research manager at Lockerty. Sabine has more than 12 years of corporate real estate management, transaction, and finance experience. She has worked for multinational companies with responsibility for local and regional portfolios. In addition to this, Sabine also hosts a weekly podcast called The Workplace Leader, where she shares how CRE executives, workplace strategists, and space planners make decisions day by day to shape the next generation workplace. Next, we have Peter Shannon. Head of Client Solutions in the Americas at Unispace. Throughout Peter's career, he has helped companies in a range of industries through eras of transformation, leading teams to define and create workplace experiences, enhance financial performance, and drive operational excellence. With a background in architecture, management, consulting, and executive leadership, Peter brings creative solutions and a client-centric attitude to the forefront of his work. And last but not least, we have Doug Gottschalk. Principal Corporate Real Estate Transaction Advisory at EY. Doug is the leader of the Corporate Real Estate Practice in the Strategy and Transaction Service Line. Prior to joining Ernst & Young LLP, he was a managing director in a global real estate services company's consulting practice. He also previously worked in another big Four's corporate real estate transformation practice. Doug has a bachelor's and master's degree in architecture and an MBA from the University of Illinois. We'd like to thank Sabine, Doug, and Peter for being here to share their insights. And to Lockity, EY and Unispace, a big thank you for their partnership and collaboration. So with that, let's go on to our first uh, question for the day. So our first question is, from a high level view, how are these various trends that we've talked about a little bit impacting portfolio optimization. Have there been some bigger shifts in how organizations and CRE professionals are approaching portfolio optimization?
0: If it's possible, it has gotten even more complex than it has been before, I'm already balancing operating costs of real estate with business needs, people's commuting times, all these kind of factors that we always considered in making location decisions. Now there's new multiple aspects coming to the equation, looking at optimization. So it's not necessarily only cost anymore, but it's really a question, how do locations in the portfolio cater to business needs, to people needs as well? How are the buildings equipped with um, certain infrastructure and like the technology we need for, for hybrid to work and to ideally be frictionless And then also question, are we supporting as an organization, a hub model where we have maybe a central location and then smaller flexible spaces? So the variety has gotten bigger as well in how you could build up a portfolio that supports your workforce. And of course, then there's still the topics of what does fit sustainability agenda? How do we run building operations efficiently? Which of course has always been an aspect, but now knowing that, and we see that very much in in the utilization data that we gather, knowing that only a fraction of the workforce is coming back, there is a lot that you can do to optimize your footprint and it's not necessarily only reducing square meters, but it is thinking about how to use the square meters you have best and which square meters to keep. Um, also in light of like, where can we be flexible with using space in different manners? Because what's often been discussed is like, will people come back to a desk? Do they want a collaboration space? So in a nutshell, it's gotten very complicated.
2: You know, Sabine, I think it's, it's also an opportunity as the question was framed. It's about what CRE professionals are doing to support the portfolio. And uh, for so long through Cornet and every other industry forum, we've talked about CRE coming together with uh, the human capital teams and coming together with the technology teams. So as we think about this hybrid stuff, it, it is more complex, it is a bigger challenge, but I think it's a great opportunity for CRE to step up and work with those partners. It's it's a son of a gun right now because the demand signal is so vague, and you've got different different uh, expectations from management in the workforce.
0: Absolutely, I agree.
3: Yeah, one of the the themes I I'm, I'm reluctant to say, but um, I think it's it's really prevalent is paralysis. You know, if you had asked me or probably and many of the folks on the phone about two years ago, as we were, you know, maybe a, a year into this COVID thing, this was going to be an opportunity. You know, people were going to come back and now we finally, everybody sees that hybrid works and it's valuable, happy employees, productive employees. And then we're going to open up the offices and, and it's going to galvanize the, the C-suite to see Hey, this is the moment on stage for corporate real estate. We're going to see new workplace programs. We're going to see new designs of space. We're going to see, you know, a club and spoke model of our office footprint. It's going to change the hammer swing and leases inked in, in blood. You know, all of this change, and that change has not happened. Um, you know, I think Peter, your your, your comment about a, a vague set of requirements. You know, we see it too, and I think it's bottling that. And then it's also getting the company to understand paralysis is not the new normal, right? We've, we've been in this paralysis, in my opinion, for about six months. And I'm not seeing the urgency to, to put the sniffing salts back in front of the C-suite and say like, hey, we, we still have this moment. It's, it's, it's dwindling. We're losing people. The balance is gonna go back to, you know, moving from employees back to the employers. And, and we're gonna have the power um, we're going to be able to, to, you know, define what the employees are supposed to do in the the future. The pendulum is going to shift back, and those companies that act, they're going to get, you know, better employee experience. They're going to look more organized. They're going to get better leases, and I, I think it's that, it's this paralysis moment that that we're in, and we have to get out of it. And it's it's the onus is on us.
2: You know, Doug, it's interesting. I'm seeing the same thing, right? We're in the business of designing and building office environments, and we've got a lot of cool solutions around what that can look like under the next normal. But what we're seeing instead is that paralysis that you alluded to. And, um, you know, it's resulting in a lot of short term lease extensions, even though the data suggests that utilization is somewhere around 40%. It depends on whether you're in northern cities or southern cities, a little higher in the southern cities. But um, one of the things that we were talking with our clients about, and, and I think it fell uh, a little bit on deaf ears, was the cost of doing nothing. So what is the advantage of getting ahead of it? You, you hinted at it by getting better lease terms in the near term. I think that's certainly part of it but having courage of convictions around what the built environment does to encourage collaboration, innovation, all those new hires coming out of school. God forbid, if, if when I graduated, I had to work from home as a young architect, it would have been a failed uh, career path for me. So there is a, an inflection point where I think something has to happen. And it's very likely that something is gonna be a smaller footprint when we talk about portfolio optimization but it should be a better footprint. I, I was in a uh, discussion with some colleagues yesterday and they were, they were showing a presentation that they were doing for a big financial company. And one of the clever folks brought up this quote that I, I, I wanna share. It's a, a Robert Kennedy quote, and I don't have the context for why he said it, but it resonated so much for me. It goes like this. It's not more bigness that should be our goal. We must attempt rather to bring people back to the warmth of community, to the worth of individual effort and responsibility, and of individuals working together as a community to better their lives." That's a pretty cool quote. uh, And what is it? Probably 50, 60 years old. But to your point, I sure hope we see more proactive engagement to come back to the office. Because I think even though the demand signal from staff is, hey, we're doing fine at home. I, When I talk to friends, colleagues, and uh, young professionals, I think they're hungry for that community. I think
1: that's a fascinating discussion. I mean, I don't know that we've always heard those perspectives. You know, there's a little bit that we've heard about the, the decision paralysis and where do we go from here, but kind of hearing a little bit more in depth about that, that, that was fascinating. So thank you for that. And it leads us really well into our next question. And you know, also kind of goes back to what Doug was talking about, about where the power is going to lie. So one example of some of these shifts that we've seen is hybrid work, which is still in a very fluid state. Just given that reality, and I know we talked about this already a little bit, are companies opting for more of a wait and see approach or are they taking action now to get their arms around potential changes? And, you know, sort of again, going back to what you discussed already, where's that going?
2: Well, I think the short answer is, and we alluded to it earlier, it is a wait and see. And it's entirely legitimate to say that. I mean, when I came to Unispace, the bet I had was that there was going to be a big spike in demand around reconfiguring the built environment. I came over shortly after the vaccines were announced, right? But on the heels of that, we had Delta, we had Omicron, and we locked down again. And then you're two years into this thing, so for sure it's it's a wait and see. When you look at Locati has uh, data. Uh, I follow the Castle uh, Security company, and its trend tracking, and it's actually been coming down in the last several months. I think it peaked maybe at 42% on average, for offices, and it's down around 40. I come into the office most days. I'm old-fashioned that way, and. Um, I would say that since January till today, each week, I've seen incrementally more activity in Chicago's Loop. You know, our offices are near the train stations on the west end of the city. And uh, pre-COVID, you'd see a sea of people heading into the Loop. And when I was coming here in March, April, May, it was a trickle. I mean, there wasn't a heck of a lot going on. And you could see all the uh, supporting businesses, you know, shoe repair lunch spaces, cafes, we're all suffering. it. And some of the places I used to love to go to are shut. I'm really hopeful that we will see a more meaningful return. And what I'm seeing even today on a rainy day in Chicago is that, you know, we're probably right at that 40% of pre-COVID, but I'm hopeful and um, expectant of utilization to start coming back in a more meaningful way after Labor Day. You know, I think August is always a weird month with everyone on holiday and what have you. But thinking about hybrid work, I'd focus on three things. One's, one's context. Two is the workforce, who I'm going to call the reluctant returner. I think people have gotten pretty comfortable being where they are. And then three is just that broad uncertainty and inflation, which might be counterproductive. But as I think about the context, right, I put it into four buckets. And it's a business strategy, a people strategy a workplace strategy, and then the corporate real estate strategies. And that is a hierarchy. What's the business doing? Well, I think the businesses have found that productivity hasn't materially dropped remarkably, but I don't think that's sustainable in the long term. Digital transformation has done great things to support what we do in business strategy, but I don't think it's a proxy for those things that we talked about. What does it mean to be part of a company? Uh, I was with some colleagues who were talking about work they're doing in support of one of, uh, we can name it because it's public, JPMC, and what they're doing with their new new corporate headquarters in New York City. And they are making the big bet. You know, Jamie Dimon's committed to this notion that innovation culture brand manifests best when people are working together. So uh, surely the business strategy. The people strategy as we think about hybrid, you know, I've heard different reviews or opinions from the clients and people I speak with. And some would say that corporate real estate hasn't done enough to step up the, to the plate. They haven't done enough to be the, the big voice that says, here's what we've got to do, even if it's just prototyping. And, and others are saying, well, you know, the CEOs are leaning into to the HR team and, and, and human capital because that's what it's all about. And this hybrid thing is more about the people than it is about the space. I think there's merit in that when you think about workforce preferences and all of that sort of thing, health and well-being. But again, if we could bring it all together, digital, human capital, and real estate, we're going to get a better solution. And I think I think to Doug's point, I would use this term, it's time to fail forward and try something because sitting and waiting for the employees to tell you how it's going to be just doesn't feel right to me. I, I think the winners are going to be the ones who assert themselves in some fashion and aren't afraid to experiment because I don't think anyone's cracked the nut on this thing. The reluctant returner, that second item, it is true that employees are in the driver's seat. You know, management has been clear they want people back in the office. I think I could say that as a broad platitude and employees are saying, no, I'm gonna change jobs. Uh, One of the big tech companies, I was talking to a fellow at CBRE and he had several friends working for one of the big ones that I won't name and they were compelling their people to come back and they said, no, thank you. You know, And they changed jobs because the market can support it. So how do you get to that reluctant returner and create the environments that make sense for them? One of the, one of the um, real estate service companies that uh, I work with has been talking about how they can productize something that's more responsive to this hybrid work. Recognize that people won't be in nine to five Monday through Friday, but what do we need to do to entice people to come back because we do value what it means to be in the built environment? And their approach is to productize accommodation around a hospitality suite. And it could be doing something in support of collaboration or something in support of sustainability and well being or something uh, in support of hospitality for its own sake. Uh, one of the big banks who used to spend a lot of money for corporate events outside, they're saying, hey, we've got all this room in our own office space that isn't used. We're hosting our events in our offices. That's going to be a step to bring it back. But again, a counterpoint to all this, a weak demand signal. And I think everyone's nervous as hell about inflation. In construction, my business, you know, the inflation has been extraordinary as a result of supply chain. And we're encouraging clients to get ahead of it because we don't see it getting better. So if you're going to do something, if you're going to have a smaller footprint, take advantage now. Your run rate savings with a smaller footprint can can support the investment that it takes to build the environments that are more conducive to the way they w- we'll all work in offices going forward. That was a mouthful. I apologize. Uh, jumping
0: on one of the things you said, I do agree with that we can't wait for people to tell us what they want in the workplace because they don't know until you put it in front of them. It's like when Henry Ford said, if I asked people what they wanted, they wanted a faster horse, and not a car. So yeah, we're the workplace people. We have to figure out and test and be a little bit more courageous with things. I'm not sure if everybody really needs to return, if we need to convince the reluctant returner that they need to be in more often, because I do think there's very strong sentiments from certain employee groups certain personas that they really work better when they are at home that they do enjoy the incorriginal community event but that they don't need to be in the office every time and i do think while a lot of companies had the wait and see approach during the last two years not necessarily taking up huge chunks of space we did see that a lot of people did not uh, sorry did not get rid of space, but they haven't taken up really a lot of space. So London, for example, it was just reported last week, hits the highest level of empty office space in 15 years, which is kind of an indicator of companies being conservative on taking up new space and just being wait and see with what they have. But also lately, we've seen signals from companies like Twitter and here in Europe, Deutsche Telekom, publicly saying, okay, we've heard... It. We've seen it in occupancy numbers. We are really going to get rid of real estate at this point in time because, also, yeah, as you said, inflation, big big um, discussion point, big risk to companies. We're going to take the opportunity as we go and release some of the space that's not catering, obviously, to our workforce. Yeah, one, of, one of the things I'd, I'd
3: like to add, you know, I, I think if you look in, well, just about every morning, maybe three times a week, I wake up way too early and I and I, I google and I say office rents and then I click the little news link within that and I'm I, I try and figure out you know why the heck aren't rents going down you know what are the true vacancies and and I think I think the landlords are still not at that place where they understand the supply and demand curve has shifted. They haven't had to you know frankly, kicking the can down the road, doing the renewals, are still getting that big lease for, for 10 years. Um, you know, companies are assuming that things are going to go back to the way that they were. So it, it, it hasn't reached that level where um, we think it's going to get, which is it really will, you know, inflation aside, rents are going to drop, or at least they're, you know, akin to CPI, they're, they're not going to rise as much, right? So it's that study of data market by market and figuring out where within the pendulum the landlord versus tenant battle is right who's got the leverage right now well it still kind of feels like it's the landlords san francisco new york maybe those are the exception um you get the sense that both are sort of stuttering back to to a place where you know the landlords might regain some of some of that that power but it you know those are the exceptions i think in the united states where the tenants do have the power and it's, and it's a head scratcher. You know, understanding that data, you know, Miami is is in the other direction, the Southeast, I'm, I'm in Charlotte today, right? The, these are back in the other directions where truly the landlord probably has that. And then you've got everything else in between, right? Yeah, I mean,
2: it's it, there's a lot of data, right, Doug? And how, how do you make heads or tails of it? When you see new office development, the trend quarter to quarter is that it's been going down. And then you try to uh, bump that up against rents that are stable or increasing. And I think what we've seen, you know, when we do see uh, good opportunities for design and construction for our clients, there's been a flight to quality. So those fewer new buildings are better buildings and are commanding higher rents. And I, I don't know this, you know, I'm no economist, but that might be the offset to the limited demand in these other spaces. Yep.
1: Thank you for that. That was a very interesting discussion. And, you know, one of the things that came up was what does CRE need to be doing? Um, you know, how can we push the envelope? How can we be leading? So uh, I guess the next question is with organizations sort of waiting to see what to do a little bit, you know, even at this point at this point, and so many things being out of the organization, the businesses, as well as CRE's control, what steps can organizations and CRE professionals take right now to be more proactive versus reactive? For example, is there more emphasis on tracking metrics such as space utilization or surveying employees and department heads to understand their wants and needs? Because going back to some of what you, you've you already discussed, you still need to be, thinking about the employee, how do you bring them back? What's going to keep them there? You know, how does culture collaboration, all of those, how do those things play in? And going back to Peter's point very early on about how, if he'd started his career completely from home, it might not have, you know, he might not have learned as much on, you know, on the job as he did. So thoughts.
3: I I can, I can start Sonali on that one. And and I've got to say, I love doing meetings now virtually because you can you can i am your teams and you know if you're with a client you don't know or if you've got notes right and, there, and of course we <laughs> do the questions beforehand and i do have five points i i jotted down i wanted to make sure back in the real world i wouldn't be able to have those notes right in front of me but i do you know look i think the cre is an integrator um, and you know, the human beings we manage within the offices, you know, traditionally, one might think they fall to HR. I'm hoping there's no HR professionals on the phone. I think, you know, there's the, there's the hearts and minds elements of the HR job, and then there's the comp and the salaries. The thing that maybe capabilities are not geared around is analytics. You know, things like you're hearing HR talk about segmentation and, you know, you've got policy... I think real estate brings that bridge to HR and if if they can you know facilitate that first rather than go to the business first, you know, be, we real estate people be the, the mathematical engine of what's in their brains, you know, because it's there, they know what the employees want. You know, I think they're an important, important voice for that. Real estate's a beautiful thing because it's visual. It, it starts to be an easy format, you know, to go to a CFO and say, here's the map, here's the buildings here, you know, HR policy, if it looks like this, and we've done some back of envelope math and, you know, starting to compute, the scenarios against different hr policies so it's it's a bridge for hr that goes a little bit beyond friendship building and 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 bringing that science i think that is super important the second thing and it's it's related are the storyboard the, the big storyboard the big business case the you know the plate tectonics of shift that have to happen from a long term and 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 short term, but there there has to be an impactful story in five years from now. This company is going to be, you know, our employees are going to mind meld and they're going to be collaborative and they're going to build better widgets and, you know, the space is going to do that. And both oh, by the way, like Ernst and Young used to spend six percent of our revenue on real estate. Today we're spending three. We can get there. You know, that's that storyboard business case in front of the right people. And our tools, whether we've got a brokerage background or we've got a CRM function built within our corporate real estate team, you know, our ability to affect that decision, I think we bring that, we have to do that. I think it's as simple as get it on the calendar, you know, start this real estate committee idea, perhaps. If you do that and you've got the, the storyboard in the business case, that's really important as well too. The third thing, and I'm I'm cheating, looking at my notes. I know everybody can see the the, the different colors of screens on my face when I <laughs> when I look at my notes. Right, it gets brighter. You know, the, the the portfolio scenarios, like classic classic stuff that we should all bring. Don't go deep, you know. Do it incrementally. Do it fast. Do it back of envelope. Again, working with HR, but get those scenarios at the macro level, then whittle down to a market or building level. Fast, rapid then once you've got that consensus that's when you bring in the you know the the bodies and and the the teams to do that deeper diligence and execution planning and looking at leases so scenarios you know that's the third point i think is really important macro fast and then you kind of you go incrementally from from there as well too i'm going to stop with 3 of the 5 that i wanted to say but you know to your point about Surveying the business. Look, I I think more often than not, you know, if you you have you you, you can't do that. You know, <laughs> it's it's terrible. You can't let the business be the architect, or you can't let them be the site selection expert. You can't let them be the broker, right? You can't let. I mean, historically, they they can't make an early renewal decision six months in advance. Okay, so we all know what what I'm talking about. Somehow we have to nod our heads and get them thinking that we we're, we're, we're coalescing that feedback and their requirements and you know, getting them jazzed up about the future. and you're converting that into the requirements. But if, if you take that literally, I think we fail. You know, some of the worst architecture, and office spaces, I you know, I've i I've, I've studied that. We've got architecture backgrounds on this phone here. You find out that you, you know, the business over-prescribed, they over-dictated the design. You know, the architect wants to be a client service provider. And so they they kind of let that happen. But again, I, I don't think we can let the business define this. Just just like I don't necessarily think we can let the employees define it. We can curate those moments for the employees. They want to be guided, they don't want to be told. But I think if if, again, we're in charge and letting the business and even dare I say, the employees dictate. They need to feel like they're in charge, and they they do in many ways need to be able to configure that experience. But we have to we have to prescribe that, whether it's the policy curating the moments or with the business setting those those really concrete standards and, and policies.
2: Yeah, it, Doug, I'd, I'd add to that. It just uh, I, I like so much of what you're saying. This notion about curating it, and taking the high ground. I don't think we're expected to have the right answer because nobody knows what it is. But curating it, we can fail forward, we can experiment. I mean, if my theory is right, that the portfolios will get smaller because people will be working differently, then you've got a hell of a lot to save. I mean, if, if uh, EY went from 6% to 3%, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of coin that can be reinvested in what that work environment is. And you don't have to do it in one fell swoop You can test and it might be different in Miami than it is in New York or in Seattle. So, you know, doing nothing just doesn't feel right to me. I I, I think everyone's hungry for action and action that supports productivity, empowerment, engagement and fulfillment. And that's what the built environment can do. And it can do it really well as it works with the technology teams and the human capital teams.
0: Actually, when what you said, Doug, about like we can't have the business and the people decide, it hasn't changed so much from before because the way to convince the business and um, the employees is to meet them with data, with evidence of, of what we're doing, what we're seeing. I mean, that's the point of all the employee surveys and collecting utilization data and collecting inf- financial information and then building these scenarios to give them options, but also to give them evidence to not base anything on, on gut feeling. And we see a lot of our customers looking into forecasting a little bit more and predictive analytics in these kind of things, trying to figure out what could be projections into the future, and then also going to their HR peers and, and getting their input on that so that they can kind of a bit, and I think that's the point where you really can be proactive it's like anticipating of what is coming next of what possible outcomes could there be of as well leadership giving a direction because as far as some companies taking a very flexible approach and others having a stricter return to office policies this might still change with the times so how can real estate be prepared for those scenarios and be be in the situation to be able to take the plan out of the drawer once it comes and be like, okay, if we're going to do this, then this is the real estate plan. This is what we can action right now. This is what we need to do for the future. So there is a lot that can be done to be prepared for that situation once it's there. So we don't have to feel like our hands are tied at the moment.
2: You know, Sabine, there's a, a company we're working with, and it's it's a startup that started in the lockdown, and um, we're helping them with what their office environment will be. So so many of the cornet. Cohort are uh, the big companies that have been around for a while, have big portfolios. And this company made clear to us hey, we're growing up, but and we need office space. And we think there's going to be benefit to that in terms of supporting the brand and our workforce. But let's be clear our strategy is work from home first. So that was their statement. Now they're a technology enablement company. And I think, uh, you know, the emerging companies. Have built-in flexibility in how they address this. They're leaning into shared work environments in a way that you haven't seen before. Whether it's the uh, the likes of the Instant Group that broker that, or the WeWorks or the Convenes of the world, there's just so much more that can be done differently with all the innovative solutions that have come to the fore. So interesting times for sure.
1: Thank you. So our next question is: You know, we've talked a lot about some of what CRA could be doing, you know, listening to the business, uh, trying to get their thoughts, trying to get a better understanding of what employees want. But in terms of portfolio strategy, how do you prioritize some of the changes that need to come about? And do you have any examples or advice of what you might
0: be seeing companies doing to address
1: some of those changes?
0: I think we said it before. First thing needs to be looking at the business's priorities. I mean, that's a very clear indicator. And again, that's not new to our industries. You follows what the business says. So if the program is cost saving, we'll see what we can do for that. If the program is growing, we will see how we can do that. So take a look at what does the business need? And then the portfolio strategy needs to follow that and then the, the next aspect and an important aspect is to see how can we measure the things that we want to achieve what are the levers what's actionable in terms of data that we can gather so we can then see if things and actions we put in place actually are fruitful um so we can pivot if they are not And then, yeah, obviously, again, with the lens of what does the business need, having a look at the portfolio and look like which workplaces, which locations, which offices do support the business in that way best. So I don't know if my on my agenda cost saving is really high. I might not want to be in downtown Manhattan in an office because it's going to be expensive. But if it's a higher point on the agenda to attract talent and this is a location they would enjoy being in, my portfolio decision might be different. So the advice would be very generic from my end, but it is, we need to know what the business wants. And then that's the direction that we need to build the storytelling for our portfolio around.
2: You know, so being there's a, a client uh, we're supporting now, and it, it happens to be in the legal space. And I think amongst the professional service firms, legal's been the most on its front foot in terms of coming back to the office. Their their work does happen in the office, not as much with clients as maybe it once did, but um, this company uh, put the challenge to us around that attract and retain talent. And for them, uh, an important statement was what they were doing to to encourage um, growth in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And one of the things that we co-developed with them Uh, different from location to location was something that we're calling art for impact. So how can we make art in the built environment better reflect the talent that we're trying to attract? So there's a lot of cool and innovative things that are happening in this context. And uh, that takes me back to this notion of experimentation. The cost saves from a smaller portfolio are significant. Uh, The article referenced a colleague of mine, former colleague who's managing a portfolio of properties across the globe, their Chicago office, which isn't insignificant, had 1,500 or more desks. And this is going back several months now, but they were seeing occupancy in the range of 30 to 50 people for 1,500 desks. So if the answer becomes, well, we need less space, which I think isn't a huge leap of logic, what is that space going to be? Well, let's start experimenting.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I was just, just one. Wondering- thought only and you know again some architects on on this call for sure you know what do employees want well they want i think number one we we did a large survey with uh, 180 companies and number one they're with their employees in in fact and you know flexibility that word is 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 king but somewhere you know number three number four and i believe strongly it's that experience you know being able to go to a, a part of the city google uh, just purchased the Thompson Center in a in a full city block in not a quite a full city block in Chicago right in the in the CBD right smack in the middle you know it's 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 to to make that experience not just when they step into that office you know cool space i mean that that are, are cool people walking around getting lunch grabbing a drink out, outside um it's a big draw and if you can infuse that in the portfolio i think it is going to Garner results and and you know garner the the metrics, if you will, if there was such a thing as measuring happiness. Although so there are some technologies now that that are able to look at facial expressions and and measure emotions and engagement kind of weird, but true. That's that's where we're, we're heading, right? The, the club and spoke model with a really cool space. And you you got to bring that while well, streamlining- Hey Doug, wait, rest,
2: I, I, I want to I interrupt you because earlier you said that and I thought, I thought maybe you tripped over your tongue. You didn't, club and spoke. Club, club and spoke. Uh, yeah. talk, talk about that a little bit because the club, well, we, yeah, we have mean, that as a design and spoke requirement was,
3: now. Was yeah. HQ, right? But the club and spoke is now I'm going there To have a a, a mid afternoon party, you know, I'm I'm there to feel like I'm sitting in the hotel lobby. Um, I'm there to mingle, right? That's the main. That's the main reason people want to go to the the office of the future. I'm generalizing, but but it is if you can bring that, then you know they want to. God forbid you have people come in and do heads down work. I mean, again, I'm being extreme, but it is it is angering. I'm speaking from personal experience to go into the dog kennel and go into your office and do exactly what you did the day before when you were working at home. And so, when we go in, it's got to be with your project team. It's got to be—I mean, even an artificial meeting or a team-building event—but it is—it is designed around that—that that club experience.
2: Yeah, you know, um, you talked about human experience and. Those of us who've been in advisory for a long time have been talking a lot about that and it'd be framed up. I'm going to come to to what you're talking about. Engagement, empowerment, and fulfillment. You want to be engaged, right? And the empowerment is that flexibility and the fulfillment is knowing that you've got the trust of leadership that you're going to do right by them, however that happens. But but I'm also a little concerned that uh, from a design perspective, the human experience is starting to feel a little hackneyed and what I'm hearing from, from uh, colleagues and uh, uh, forward thinkers, futurists, is what's the story that we're trying to tell? when Whether it's to our employees or to the marketplace, what's the story we're trying to tell with our built environment? And there's a story to tell how we treat people, what does it mean to do around ESG with sustainability? How does it manifest in our building? So uh, again, there's just so many cool things that we can be doing in this context around telling the story of what a corporation stands for in supporting what they do uh, whether it's widgets or whatever
1: i'm definitely fascinated by this club and spoke model i know i've heard of uh, some companies where you know there's there's beer and cocktails at the end of the day so it does sound like a real club experience very cool So before we go on to our next question, let's see if there's any questions from the audience. You should be able to chat to us, uh, to either the panelists or the co-hosts, or if you want to raise your hand and ask a question in person, I can unmute you. So let me know. You can give that a few seconds. Are we going to see,
2: I'm reading one of them from Kendra Nichols. Are, Are we going to see a rise in suburban micro offices instead of big city HQs, instead of expecting employees to come to us? moving smaller offices to areas we see employees residing. I think we are seeing that, right? That That is, to Doug's point, around the club and spoke. A long time ago, I was supporting some work at uh, HP, and this is a long time ago when Meg Whitman was there. And they had what I'd characterize as an accidental portfolio. They acquired all sorts of different properties, and they had contracts that obligated them to be near clients. And what Meg wanted to do was have fewer better bigger spaces so instead of this shotgun portfolio that was kind of accidental let's build a portfolio with intention and where we have those hubs or if you want to call them clubs let's make them better you know and i think that resonated but manhattan's a great example where you know the commute times can be pretty onerous one of my colleagues uh, who works with me has an hour and a half to get into the office and boy you know if you're driving 90 minutes or taking public transportation that sure does feel like a waste. So you'd wanna be able to go to something else. And I think, as I think about this question, you wanna have optionality, right Doug? That flexibility that you said is top of the list. Yeah, I wanna go in and see my boss at corporate club headquarters, whatever you wanna call it. But on a day-to-day basis, I'm not sure I'm getting all the support I need when I'm working at home. Is there somewhere else I can go? Whether it's you know community space, co-working environments, or purpose-built spokes for the companies that are big enough to support that.
1: Thank you, Peter. We have a couple of people who raised their hands and in the vein of having trouble with technology today, looks like they can't chat us. So I will allow, uh, you know, if you raise your hand, I will um, unmute you. So just let me know.
3: Yeah, thank you. Uh, My chat is disabled, so I apologize for the live question. Post-pandemic, everyone is doing video meetings like we're doing today. And so there's been a lot of pushback from folks in open work environments or nomadic work environments about I don't have the privacy. I'm being disturbed by my coworkers who are doing these video calls. I'm just curious what strategies you're seeing companies use to try to integrate the open work environment uh, or nomadic work environment, particularly since many people aren't coming to the office, so dedicating space to people isn't a wise use of space, and how you're managing the tech- the new technology. I,
2: I'm gonna take a run at it, uh, J.A. I think we are seeing a lot of experimentation around what we can do. So, you know, we've all heard of uh, I-Space, me-Space, uh, we-Space, and us-Space. I think the us-Space is that notion around that club environment where you know you're building that collaboration but that i me space the technologies are getting better but it's hard to be have those ad hoc calls right so you see things like this is this is old-fashioned but the phone boost where you can go take your calls there are solutions around that but you got to have these environments that just have that optionality to go where you need to go i'm in a conventional office myself where i was able to close the door but even yesterday when we were having one of these calls, I had a colleague down the hall who was on the call and you start getting echo. I think the tech companies have solutions and the architects are working with them to figure out how to accommodate it. But but again, it suggests to me that the built environment has to change.
1: All right. So I'm gonna unmute a couple of the other people who have their hands up. Jay, I'm gonna unmute you.
2: Hello. I'm just wondering, what kind of ratios
3: are you looking at for desks to headcount at offices? What are you seeing? Are you seeing 60% or lower to accommodate people in your offices around the United States and and globally as well?
0: So I can't specifically comment on the US, but I think the lowest I've seen lately was a 50% um, ratio. And looking at that company's occupancy data, it was sufficient. Um, In Europe, we still have a lot of the wait and see approach and not a big move of companies actively declaring a higher sharing ratio, but more of like with natural hat count growth, sharing ratios becoming bigger, but still in the very conservative range of 80 to 90%. But actually looking at the occupancy, I do think that the 50 to 60 that you mentioned are... Very realistic to do.
2: I'd give the consultant's answer was, it depends. I was working with a uh, client in the early days in the pandemic, and they found that they didn't lose productivity when they sent people home. And various different business heads were getting a mandate from on high to take out cost. And what we saw some of the business units suggest is that we're going to have 10 to 1 people to desk ratios and we thought that was an overreaction for this company because the company had a tradition of not investing in their office environment rather in their core business which in this case was healthcare so their their critical environments uh, hospitals if you will got all the money we thought going from one to one desking to 10 to 1 was you know a road too far so we were advising let's let's see you you may aspire to that but if you pull the Band-Aid off right away, you might disenfranchise a lot of your workforce. That other company that I alluded to earlier, that we're going to be work from home as, as our first strategy, you know, you've got these bookends, right? In early days in the pandemic, Jamie Dimon was saying, I want to see my people back. And his managers has got in his ear and said, they're not coming, boss. You know, so I think it it depends and uh, you, you got to test. So I don't think there is a ratio that you can prescribe that's going to be a good blanket ratio across all sectors.
1: Let's try and squeeze one final question in. Sam, I'm going to unmute you, so you should be able to talk.
4: Oh, that was going to be our third J in a row. Good morning, guys, and hello, Peter and Doug. Where I completely agree with you, um, your comments, I think you know, this is where Cornet can take the leadership, because I do think we're in analysis paralysis and nobody can make a decision. And I think that's really hurting us as corporate real estate professionals and our brand to be able to have a seat at the at the CEO table as we've been fighting for for so long. So unless we come up with a solid position of here's step A, step B, step C, I think we're going to always continue to have a back seat, and our value going forward is going to drop even more. But one of the things I don't hear, and I think that is causing a lot of the paralysis is the financial aspect where I, you know, you guys hit it over and over. We need a reason to come back. We need to do this and that. And I hate the term teaming and collaborative. I keep asking, what does it look like? And nobody can tell us. So back to your point, we've got to take the leadership and say, here it is. But at the same point with the financial conditions, inflation and everything, Nothing comes for free. So there's got to be a business case to say, I need this amount of money to do X, Y, Z. And the problem is, if we don't present that, we're going to keep falling off the radar because I can't change the environment. I can't make people come in and we shouldn't force people to come in. But if I can't build something, even if it's the wrong thing, but if I can't build something to, to show CEOs that we're moving forward, we're going to be in a heap of trouble. So the real question is, how do we put this team together and use Cornet as the forefront and create a roadmap so we're not having analysis paralysis?
3: Cornet Chicago Summit, let's let's do it in person in, in early November, Sam. Um, it's it's great, great to hear from you, by the way. And yeah, I, I don't know why I want to say, but, you know, drive for show, putt for dough kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's it's got, there's there's got to be a, a big money component of this at the end, too. And maybe you don't, maybe you tell that to the CFO and not the business. But, yeah, it's a, that's a tough one, Sam. And It, I, it, I
2: it, it is particularly it tough for Sam. Sam, without uh, sharing confidences, your portfolio is unique in so many ways. And... Uh, Your challenge, uh, I feel your pain, but but I think to your point, as a CRE professional, you've got to come in and assert something because doing nothing isn't the answer. Thanks, guys.
1: Well, thank you, everyone. We're a minute past our scheduled time. I just want to thank the speakers and the attendees for hanging in there. We had pretty much every technological issue we could today, but I think we made it work. So thanks again for being here. big thank you to Peter, Sabine, and Doug for for sharing their insights, for taking time uh, to talk with us, and to the attendees for being here and for all the questions. Hopefully, we'll see you on another webinar at a later point. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't also thank Velocity, EY, and Unispace for their research and their collaboration with us. So thank you again.